Hey, church family, welcome to another online service. Thanks for joining us. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we just have two more weeks that we're doing the online worship part of these services. Uh, we're going to be transitioning in our fall series in two weeks to just having more of just the, a time of being in God's Word. Uh, but always the invitation to go back to any of the 67 times we did these uh, worship sets so you can just dive into worship anytime you feel like online. Thanks again for this week, though. Let's go ahead and worship our Lord.
life with words that pierce the dark with light Only by the blood are we set free With mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree You alone hold the power to song has a great lyric. It says, no grave can hold what your grace has justified. Uh, and that is echoed in scripture. I'm in Hebrews chapter nine, middle of part of verse 26. It says this, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. I want you to focus this week for communion on one idea, that his sacrifice on the cross was completely sufficient. There's nothing else that's needed. It's echoed in scripture over and over. His blood is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. 
uh, sometimes we have our sin, we have our regrets, and we just carry it around as if the Lord hasn't been able to forgive that. And the reality is that's just our decision because scripture says that it was once and for all. That's it. It's sufficient for you. Reach out, prepare your heart uh, to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're gonna sing one more song and then we'll do a little communion time. bread represents the body of Christ. It was broken, it was laid in the ground, and supernaturally it was knit back together and raised to life. And scripture says when he comes back in bodily form, he is no longer needed to deal with sin. He's just coming for those who are eagerly awaiting his return, according to the scripture. Let us eat and remember the broken and resurrected body of Jesus Christ.
This represents the blood that was spilled, the blood that was spilled as an offering for many. And earlier in Hebrews, it says, it's not like the priests who had to keep going back year after year to atone again and again. This was the sacrifice once and for all, for everybody, for you, me, people that have never, that haven't even been born yet. His blood is sufficient. It is all encompassing. It is the forgiveness of sins. Drink and remember the blood of Jesus. Bible Fellowship Online. So good to see you. Hopefully you're having a wonderful day. Hey, couple of announcements for you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to just let you know what's going on here at the church. First of all, people just need prayer sometimes, and so we would love to be the people that pray for you. So if there's anything going on, we'd love to pray for you this week. Please text any prayer request to 97,000. So here at the church, we've got our ministries that kind of run regularly. We've got events going on all the time. There's a lot of different meetings that are happening throughout the week regularly. And we'd love for you to just go to the website and check out our calendar and see all the stuff that's going on this week and in the weeks to come. There's a ton. So we'd love for you to just go and check it out. We've got things for everyone. Also on the website, if, if you're just blessed by the ministries here at the church, whether in person or just online, uh, would you consider financially supporting us? That's the way that all of this works. Uh, and so we're just thankful for people like you that generously give. And uh, we'd ask uh, if you're interested in doing so, you can go online under the Give tab and give there. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. Uh, dear Father, um, thank you again just for another day. 
uh, another time to be together, to gather uh, online, and to get into your word. Um, Father, we're so desperate for you to speak to us regularly. Uh, It's not just a once a week thing. We regularly need your word to speak to us. And so we pray uh, that today, as we just dive in, um, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts. Um, We need you to do that. We depend on your Holy Spirit to move and work in our lives. We pray this all now in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you, worship team. Uh, so good to be together with you online and just working through this series. I Hopefully you've been blessed by it. I've had a lot of fun just looking up these different kind of less noted, somewhat obscure characters uh, in the Old Testament in this supporting cast idea. Well, this week I found another one that most likely uh, we haven't spent a lot of time studying, a gentleman by the name of Ehud. It's spelled E-H-U-D, but it's pronounced with an A. I always look up these pronunciations. So Ehud is, uh, comes out of Judges chapter 3. We're going to be uh, looking at today, but really a story super unique. It's really one that you could feel like you're, you're just watching uh, a present-day James Bond film and definitely rated a mature audiences in this week's text. So that's a little bit of a warning for those listening. Let me give a backstory like I typically do of where we're at. So when Joshua first led the Israelites into the promised land, he gave them kind of, you would say, kind of a, a formula for success moving forward. You might be familiar with this passage that describes this formula. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Basically explaining to them, if they stick with God's words, with the parameters that are put in place there, with the, uh, with the charges for what a fruitful life looks like, man, they will skip so much hardship and so much pain. And they were intended to be a nation that was set apart so that the rest of the world could look in and be like, man, there's something different about them and their God. They were intended to be a light to an otherwise dark world. But instead of being set apart, instead of that, they chose more often than not to actually follow the lead of the surrounding pagan nations around them and they would start worshiping their gods. So unfortunately, wandered from this key formula for success. This takes place during a time period of a, that, that kind of a cycle, if you will, and it would be described as the period of judges. Judges were uh, not, not like kings, a little bit different, not, not in a, a, a courtroom sense, but a judge in that day and time, a description that I read this week, I think is a good one, would be regional, political, military leaders, kind of like American Indian chiefs would have been back in the the day. So they weren't quite kings, but they were giving some direction to the people. Some would ask, well, why didn't they have kings like all of their neighboring countries? It was really because of God's warnings about the the, uh, tyrannical nature of kings. You see, when somebody is given too much authority and too much power, 
they end up going to some really dark places. We see that in even present day on our world stage when someone is handed too much responsibility, too much power with no accountability. It ends up leading them to wherever their sin nature will take them. So God warns them about them, but uses judges to rescue them where, when they're in this cycle of following the lead of other nations around them. Basically, that's how it would work. There's a pattern that would happen where Israel would wander from God for a season. God would then allow a neighboring nation to conquer them, put them under their rule. And then eventually, Israel would then call out to God for rescue. God in his unbelievable mercy, despite their infidelity, would send then a judge as a rescuer in some kind of a miraculous way to bring them back to a, a, a time of prosperity, a time of peace. And so this, this cycle that really the book of Judges captures, and really it's an interesting cycle because it's really the story of us. In today's story, Israel is about to be under the oppressive rule of a king by the name of Eglon, who was from the nation of the, the Moabites. The Moabites were a pagan, adulterous nation. In fact, we're told that they did evil in the sight of God. That's a repeated theme in the book of Judges. Rather than resisting what the, uh, that nation did, Israel just followed suit and just basically followed their lead and going all kinds of dark directions. Let me just pray before we explore Judges chapter 3, this story of Ahud. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word and how these passages, even from the Old Testament, are still relevant, that the nature of man hasn't changed, the tendency to wander hasn't changed, and the invitation to come back hasn't changed by you, the perfect, loving God. I ask that you'd speak to us through this section of scripture. There's so many things that we can glean from uh, this story, even from the, both the good and from the bad. We invite you to move in our hearts. We'd be free of distractions, even in these moments now. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So starting in Judges chapter 3, verse 12, uh, we're looking at this cycle that I was mentioning. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Wow. So this idea of a cycle. I, I was at uh, just a, a couple weeks ago, had the, just a sweet opportunity to go to a Kirk Franklin Maverick City concert at the uh, crypto Center. It was kind of cool just seeing all the people there worshiping God. And one of the songs that caught my attention, it really stuck in my head while we were there, was a song. It was actually called Cycles. And the song was talking about this exact tendency that we're prone to, this, this cycle of, of moving towards sin. In fact, there's a line and it says, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. That is the story of us getting stuck in this, this cycle of not thinking through the outcomes 
of our sin patterns. We, we, we go into it and we know where it leads, but yet we keep going back to some of the same exact sins. That's what Israel does. It says there in the text, and the people of Israel again, that's an important word, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This cycle of repeated going back and back again. And we're told that the Lord gets involved in the situation in response to their sinful behavior. Notice that the Lord, that it says that the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Basically, what's happening here is God is user, using a neighboring pagan nation, or actually in this case, a group of pagan nations, to implement his discipline on the Israelites. This is an important thing to understand, a pattern to see in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, that we have a God that disciplines his kids. We have a, a God that's willing and okay with using oppressive rule in order to get the attention to break the sin cycle in our lives. Here's the thing we have to understand is that we don't have a God that's necessarily concerned about our comfort, but instead concerned about the object of our affection. This is set, seen in both the Old and New Testament. In fact, just in our last study in the book of Hebrews, where this was explained, Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 5 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So, Life lesson, maybe something that I should be learned a lot uh, longer ago, but here when I'm about to have my 48th birthday, life lesson is this. It's much easier to comply prior to discipline. As a, a father of three kids, one of the things that's such a challenge, I always would hate disciplining our kids past and present. And you often are giving them this warning. You give them opportunity after opportunity to change their behavior. But eventually you say, well, if that's the outcome that you want, then that's what you're going to get. If that's what you keep initiating and pursuing, I'm okay with the discipline part of that. You got to believe that's what our God deals with as well. Some confuse, if we're honest with ourselves, some confuse their current uh, circumstances and think, man, I'm just in this season of really hard times, difficulty. I don't know why God's allowing all of this hardship in my life. And if we're real honest, if we actually stop and reflect on our circumstances, we might come to realize that our circumstances are the outcome of our sinful behavior. They're the discipline of a loving God. If that is the case, man, we have the same invitation that Israel has is to repent, to turn back to the Lord, confess our sins and turn from our sin. The invitation stands the same. This was not a short period of discipline that we see here that they're under the rule of this pagan nation. In fact, we're told that it's going on for 18 years. Continue in verse 15. It says, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ahad, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. 
So a couple interesting things. First, as you notice that the time period this, this was, I already mentioned it, 18 years that they're under the heavy hand of this foreign uh, leadership, this foreign king underneath his rule. And then we're told it has the word then. It says, then they called out to the Lord. It's interesting to think of how long it took in their stubborn disobedience for them to finally connect the dots and say, all right, God, we need your rescue. They took 18 years to finally bend a knee before Almighty God. Always amazes me at God's humility to take us even when we come to him as a last resort. Think about that for a moment. Even when we've tried every other God, when we, we've tried going down every other path and we keep coming back, not satisfied, and we're just like, all right, God, I guess I'm going to come to you. I guess I'm going to turn to you. And God's like, all right, I'll take you. But imagine playing that out. If you're in a, 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 that time period of life where you're dating, imagine if there was a girl that you're interested in, you've confessed your love for them, and they decide, you know what, I'm going to date every other possible person. And then after finding nobody else, they come back to you and say, okay, now I'm interested in you. You'd be like, no, thank you. I'm no longer interested because I don't want to be a last resort. But that's the kind of extreme love our God has for us. He says, I'm willing to take you even after 18 years of you trying every other false God option out there, unbelievable type of love. That's the kind of love that we sing about in our worship. So he decides to rescue them despite their infidelity. And we're told that they sends this gentleman by the name of Ahud to rescue them. What do we know about him? Not a ton. We don't know who Gera is. We do know the tribe of Benjamin. That was one of the smallest tribes of Israel. And we're given a really interesting uh, bit of information about Ahud. We're told that he's a left-handed man. Now, why would that be important? You're kind of like, what in the world? Why would those details be important? I read a bunch up on that this week, just some of the reason and rationale for that. First off, I found it interesting that the tribe of Benjamin, that Benjamin, the name Benjamin itself means son of the right hand. So this is a left-hander from the tribe of the son of the right hand, which is kind of unique. But here's what you have to understand in biblical times. There's only three different times in all of scripture that it mentions somebody being left-handed. And every single time, it is somebody that is a Benjamite. I find that really peculiar, but it's interesting in this, uh, this particular instance, this time period, right-handed was considered being so the right hand was considered the arm of strength. And traditionally, even the difference between right and left-handed uh, people present day, it's more common for sure for somebody to be right-handed, less common to be uh, left-handed. But it was a position of strength. And anytime left-handed is mentioned, it's almost always to point out an area of weakness. So we don't necessarily know a ton of the background here. Maybe he was had a, a left hand that was disabled, was injured, that had uh, forced him to use his right hand. Maybe he was born that way, but either way, it was a picture of weakness. And what I think the reason, kind of as I'm processing through this and seeking the Lord, I think the reason that that's highlighted is because God loves to use us 
even in our weakness. This was the least likely rescuer that they would not have assumed was going to be the one that brought them out of captivity. But God does that throughout the book of Judges. If you do a study on any of these characters, the next character we're about to be introduced to was Deborah, another less likely rescuer. You see, the thing about less likely rescuers is what it does is it puts the spotlight on the true rescuer, our God. But it also gives hope to us in our shortcomings that God loves to use our left-handedness, if you will, to still do miraculous things. All right, we'll continue just in the text, just learning about what this left-handed dude does as part of the, the uh, in response to the cry for rescue. It says, the people of Israel sent a tribute by him to Eglon, so a tribute, a gift, if you will, to the king of Moab. And Ahud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to, uh, to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man, not P-H-A-T, F-A-T, very fat man. And when Ahud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. All right, so we're seeing a, a sneaky plan begin to unfold. I I remember for whatever reason when I was reading this that I remembered an Adam Sandler movie. I don't know if any of you watched some of these. This is maybe a confession into uh, my movie preferences. It's called Mr. Deeds. It's back in 2002. And there's a, there's a, a little uh, clip in there of one of the characters where he says, I fear you underestimate my sneakiness. If you don't remember it, take a look at it here. Wow. You kind of just... Snuck up on me there, ma'am. I fear you're underestimating the sneakiness, sir. It's kind of a, a goofy scene, but that's what came to mind when I'm thinking of this left-handed gentleman sneaking into the king's palace. The, the first thing you see that he does, he shows up and he pretends to be bringing this man, this king, a gift. But before he shows up, he's snuck into his, into his probably his, his robe, if you will, a cubit long sword. So that's about 16 to 18 inches. So a pretty good sized sword that he's attached to his right thigh. Some theologians believe that the reason that it didn't get caught in their pat down, if you will, before seeing the king is because it would typically, if someone was carrying a sword, they'd be right-handed and it would be on their left leg for easy access to pull out. But here, maybe God, part of God using this left-handed Benjamite to do his work. So they slipped that by. We're told a little bit about this king, not a ton. We're told that he's a fat man. You're like, man, that seems like a pretty impolite description of this gentleman. But I believe that it wasn't a, a thyroid issue. I think it was a picture of the excess in which he lived that left him vulnerable to any kind of an appeal to his ego. Basically, if you think about it, everybody likes to be liked. 
Everybody likes gifts and everybody tends to like to have their ego stroked. And so in this case, that's exactly the approach that the Israelites devised to get access to this king. I find it interesting how they, they, they describe him, though. I'm just picturing, I don't know if you're familiar with the Star Wars movie, but I've got this picture of Jabba the Hutt in the back of my mind. But that's the picture of the, this king. He snuck into him and basically had him drop his guard a bit because he's so confident, kind of blinded by the, uh, by the gifts, blinded by the most likely the uh, kind words. And so he's left himself vulnerable to outsiders. I was thinking about this even as these are different teachable moments on both sides, both the good stuff and the bad stuff. And so I think this wicked king is a great reminder to us about how vulnerable we're left with our ego. When, we, when, when our ego allows us to think, oh, I'll be fine spending time with this person. I'll be fine spending this time. I'm strong enough to be around this bad example or this, this person that I know is not headed in a Christ-like direction. Truth is we leave ourselves really vulnerable when we put ourselves in positions with people that we shouldn't be in relations with. Here he's vulnerable to an assassin and then Ehad pulls out a classic junior high prank. He says, I have a secret message for you. Isn't that kind of funny? Like, oh, I've got a secret I want to tell you. And what does the king choose to do? He calls for silence, which then clears out everybody in the room, giving this, uh, this assassin free access to, to whatever it is he's going to do. And we're about to see what that is. Verse 20. And Ahud came to him as he was sitting alone in the, his cool roof chamber. And Ahud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ahud reached with his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt, that's the end of the, of the sword, also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Wow. Then Ahud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. All right, so I tried to warn you that this is a bit of a graphic text. Ahud's secret message was the sword that he had brought. And the special, special delivery was the stab to the belly of this grossly overweight king. Not just a, a message, not just any message, but a message from God. A lot of times people have a hard time with that because understanding that, wait a second, God sent or allowed Ahud to assassinate a king? Yes, he did. That was part of God's call in his life. It was part of God's justice for this king in order to liberate his people. This one and a half foot dagger completely accomplished God's will in this pagan king's life. We're told something graphic. It says, and the dung came out. 
I was trying to read to get some kind of an explanation of this, and I was thinking, man, there's, maybe there's some kind of a secondary meaning to that. Basically, the picture is that, is that this gentleman lost all control of his bowels in this moment, and so pretty miserable way to die with a, a spear or sword, I should say, wedged into his stomach, envelope, enveloped by the gentleman's own uh, excess weight, and then losing all bowel control. God uh, in instilled justice on this king. So often we like to emphasize God's love and his compassion and skip the reality of his justice. But if we really think through it, we want a God that brings both. We want a God that offers mercy and love and compassion to his, his people. But we also want a God that brings justice. Imagine a reality that was absent of justice, where the atrocities that man commits are never met with any kind of a consequence. That's in our heart of hearts, not really what we long for. We long for both. It's interesting if you think about it, we cry out for mercy and just uh, mercy for ourselves and then justice for others. But thankfully, we have a perfect judge that actually offers both and gives us a choice which we want to experience. Do we want to experience God's mercy through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross by embracing his death as payment for our sins? Or do we want to experience justice by going with our own resume of, of actions before Almighty God? He gives us a choice, but eventually... Our time out or our time for making that choice eventually runs out. And that's exactly what has happened with Eglon. His time was finally up. God only accepts or tolerates our rejection of him for so long. We see how this story plays out. He says, when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, Surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And, they, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ahud escaped while they delayed and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country and, was their, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me for the Lord has given you, uh, given your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. All right, so some pretty cool things God's working out. The first thing is the reminder of man, how a kingdom can fall in a single day. The junior hire in me can't help but laugh at the, at the servants that are outside of the king's door there. They're like, I'm not going in. Are you going in? I don't know. I smell something kind of fishy in there. Well, he's just probably taking care of his afternoon deposit. Nobody wants to go in, giving plenty of time for the escape, plenty of time 
uh, for uh, Ahad to get away from the, uh, from the king's chambers. But their, their hesitation allowed them ultimately to go in and find their dead king. It's interesting, the description, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Like the use of the word Lord there, so often our false gods that promise so much end up just being someone that's just uh, proves to be falling short of that position as Lord. Then we see that Ahud returned to the people of Israel. He had Israel and moved them, encouraged them to the opportunity of conquering the Moabites, to free themselves. And in one single day, completely redirected things. You think about that, that reminder for us how God can change, He can cause our kingdoms to come crashing down in one single day. Anybody that thinks that their choices don't have the potential to crash their own worlds without even realizing, I think that's one of the lessons that we can learn from this Moabite king. God rescued them and directed them for the next 80 years of peace. In the book of Judges, that's the longest amount of time of peace that's ever described here. A lot of interesting life lessons. I know, first off, you read this story and you're like, well, what can I glean from this story? Am I, am I just learned to stay away from left-handed assassins? Not, not exactly it. I think there's a lot that we can glean here. A few lessons. First, each of these I've alluded to in our talk. The first one is this, is discipline is part of God's shaping in our lives. It's okay to have discipline. It's okay to start going down the wrong path and to receive discipline and to redirect and correct our course. That's the way that the whole sanctification process happens in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. He's like, listen, I'm not so concerned about your comfort. I'm concerned about the object of your worship. And then when the object of our worship is misdirected, God's like, all right, Looks like I need to do something to get their attention. So discipline is part of God's shaping in our lives. Second, we see that God responds to the cries of his people. It's not just an Old Testament thing. When we acknowledge our sin, when we call out to him for rescue, he's like, man, he will come running redirect things in our lives. Give us a, a fresh start, a new beginning, a 80 years of peace, if you will, all in a single day by calling out to our God. He's a God that would prefer, prefer mercy over justice. Third, our, we have a God that can use our peculiarities to do amazing things. This left-handed gentleman, he must have been kind of slick with his words. He must have been a smooth talker to navigate just a, a single person working in to en end up taking out the, the main leader, the king of that time period. God can use the oddest of things to accomplish amazing things. And if you think about it along that same line, is that it only takes one faithful servant. A lot of times in our current situation, we can look around at some of the uh, misery that we're surrounded with, some of the hardships, some of the pain, and be like, man, well, what does my life matter? How can I make a difference? And God's like, man, I just need one faithful, willing servant. I'll take care of the rest. So whatever God's stirring in your heart these days to be active about, man, it, I often am nudged about this, getting off the sidelines and actually taking steps towards making a difference. 
And then the last one, the last lesson I absorbed from this is that justice is coming. Justice is coming. One of the things that drives me crazy in our current news cycle is we just basically go from one thing to the next that gets exposed. You're like, hey, this this miserable thing, it just came out the truth about this and they're obviously guilty. And then time passes and you're like, well, wait a second, there was no consequence for that. Then the next thing in the news cycle, this terrible thing is being exposed and they are guilty. And you're just like, well, where's the, the, the list of the people that were on the island? You know, like where, what happened there? Where is the justice? But here's the reality is at some point, we're all going to stand before Almighty God. God promises that, that one day every single knee will bow. Every tongue confess that He is Lord. Justice is on the horizon. Don't get confused when you see the wicked flourish that it's not coming. All of these are reminders of how our God works, who He is, who we're dealing with. And man, what an amazing gift that we have a God that has accepted us even when we've come to Him at the end of our ropes. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you so much for this chance to look at this story and just some real interesting work that you're doing just in the people of Israel that are such a great picture of us, the cycles that we can get stuck in, not thinking through the ramifications of the sins that we keep going back to, back to, back to. God, I pray that even in response to this message, there might be something that you put a finger on, an area of conviction that you want us to confess, that you want us to break free from. God, we can only do that in your strength. Otherwise, we just keep going back to those patterns. We thank you that you're a God of rescue that responds to our cries for help, that you're a God that will ultimately bring justice and one that offers grace, God. You're the perfect blend of both. We praise you for that even now in song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my All right, church. Well, again, thank you for being with us online. Hopefully you're blessed as much as I am in these studies. God bless you. Have an amazing week.